I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I'm recording from. I pay my respects to the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander lands you are listening from and extend this respect to any First Nations listeners. That festive season can bring up a lot of feelings, you know, of not just like joy and connection, but unresolved trauma, (laughs) unspoken expectations, you know, disappointment. Hi, I'm Sarah Malik, Eid Mubarak, and welcome to the last special episode of My Ramadan, a podcast about how we experience Ramadan and Eid in modern multicultural Australia. I hope wherever you are, you are enjoying time with family and friends, walking off the food coma and getting some rest after the early morning masjid shuffle. From moon controversies to cash gifts in envelopes, what do your Eid celebrations look like today in Australia? And how can parents make Eid special for their kids when they have to compete with Christmas? In this special episode, we discover what Eid looks like for two mixed culture families, Ryder Shahidul and Inda Ahmed Zari. Ryder is a writer and mom of three who joins me remotely from Kuala Lumpur. Inda is also a mom of three, a doctor, and the author of the Ramadan children's book, The Month That Makes the Year. Usually based in Brisbane, today she joins me from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Welcome to the show, Ryder and Inda. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. You're both a Malay background, but almost had opposite journeys. Inda, you grew up in Kuala Lumpur and migrated to the West as an adult. And Ryder, you grew up in Sydney and migrated to Kuala Lumpur after you got married. Yep. So Inda, tell me about your Eid growing up. My Eids and Ramadans back in Malaysia were just amazing. They, you know, they were really lovely. It was a spiritual time of year. And because everybody was in on it, everybody celebrated it. There were concessions made for school and work. People knew that everybody was fasting and so we'd adjust our schedules accordingly. Uh, you'd have time off to do the special eat things, which are not just the you know family uh, iftar sort of thing, but also the spiritual things as well. There's definitely an atmosphere that um, you know pervades life in Malaysia when when you're celebrating Ramadan and Eid there. There's songs, there's mall decorations, and Raida, you you probably noticed yes. since you've moved back there as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know the ads, the commercials that that just make you ball out and cry every <laughs> yes, Ramadan so and Eid. They're <laughs> such emotional tear jerkers. It's crazy. It's like, you know, every Eid you, and in Ramadan, you almost kind of wait for, wait for them to come up with this amazing five-minute commercial that makes everybody melt into tears. Um, so there's definitely a massive atmosphere there. Oh, beautiful. And tell me about going to the village. So traditionally, Kuala Lumpur is a big city and a lot of families, some obviously grew up in Kuala Lumpur, but a lot of families would have roots back in the villages or smaller towns outside of Kuala Lumpur or in the rural areas. My mom, for example, comes from a small town um, called Muar in Johor, which is in the south. And my dad comes from Seremban, which is in Negris Milan um, in a nearby state. Obviously, once you get married, your partner might not come from the same part of Malaysia. So you almost have to take turns like, oh, this year it's my turn and this year is my husband's family's turn. And you kind of do that. It's sort of an unspoken rule um, that everybody gets a fair share. And you would head back if you're able a few days before Eid. There is that mad Eid rush um, for mm. those who can't get off work early. The the roads are going to be chockers. 
all my cousins would be there and my aunts and uncles would be there at my um, grandparents' house. And it was just amazing. We'd put the songs on. My grandma, who passed away recently, she's an amazing woman. She um, had a stroke about 15 years ago. And so she was hemiplegic, but she still kept as active as possible. She's very much still the matriarch of the family. And she'd have jobs for us to do. You know, okay, you change the curtains because I want the nice curtains when the guests come. Um, You change the sofas around here because this is where we're going to take our pictures and stuff like that. And then my aunt would kind of hold fort in the kitchen because she was the best cook of the family and they'd make lode and kuah kacang and ketupat and all these amazing foods that we look forward to um, for eat. And then the kids ultimately will have really simple jobs like bring out all of the nice canisters and put all the kueh raya or the eat cookies in them so that we can lay them all out on the front table when the guests arrive. And so eat morning then would be wake up, shower, get to the mosque if we can, um, and then put on our Eid clothes, which tend to be quite matchy-matchy. I don't know if that's still the trend back in Malaysia, but we used still to the just... Trend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, still the trend. We'd wear like the same fabric, all of us, um, so you know which family you're from. And then, yeah, you'd start to eat because you don't have to fast anymore. We then kind of shimmy up to whichever elder person we can find and kiss their hand and ask for forgiveness because it's all about forgiveness and reconciliation. Then there's a little bit of financial benefits from that as well because you get past the the little envelope full of money and you hoard that for the rest of the day because the day is not over. The rest of the day, you just either receive guests or you are a guest yourself. And we kind of make these plans to go in a big convoy to everybody's house around the kampung or the village or the little town or wherever you are. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Wow. So everyone would migrate from the cities to the villages to visit grandparents. And yeah. then the festivities, would they just go on for days? For like a month. I mean, we fasted for a month. So we might as well celebrate for a month as well. So you'd get, you'd get a fair bit of time off. Like I, I joke that in Malaysia, we didn't really have to go to school because we were so multicultural that we would have holidays for every single thing. So Chinese New Year, one week off. Christmas, one week off. Um, Eid, two weeks off. Two eats, no problem. More time <laughs> off and Dipavali and everything. We'd, we'd celebrate everything. Um, and so we would stay in the kampung for sort of a week or so. That was a, a good amount of time for me and my family. But when we got home and work started up again and school started up again, people would still have open houses. So in KL itself, um, we'd often just go about our day, but then at night, change back into traditional clothes and go out to auntie so-and-so's house or Mr. So-and-so's house because they had an open house where we could eat more and collect more packets of money. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Just a massive <laughs> party for endless yeah. party for a month. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. just beautiful. <laughs> um, and, you know, going to this to Ryder, tell us about what you comically label your sad Sydney diaspora eats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or what in Malaysia they label Hari Raya. Uh, yes. So I was born in Singapore. And even though we were a racial and religious minority, uh, Eid or Raya was still really special because of family. And we'd get together, all the tasty food. But once we migrated to Sydney, we were the only ones who left. So we literally left our village behind. Um, so it was just like my mom and my siblings. And my parents were still married back then. So he'd, my dad would fly in. And that was it, you know. So I'd never met an Arab in my life when I was in Singapore. 
And then when I moved to Sydney and I went to private Muslim school, I was the minority. I was like the non-Arab. And it was so strange. <laughs> As our relationships and friendships got deeper, then we got the Eid invites to other families. And I remember tasting ma'amur for the first time. Fatima al-Assad, still a really good friend of mine. Her mom and her ma'amur with the pistachio filling and the garlic sauce. Like, let's see, I'm like doomed for life. Like, I cannot eat it outside anymore because I've tasted homemade garlic sauce. <laughs> you know? And I've been on the hunt ever since. And my husband knows anytime I'm mad, just get me garlic sauce out here. Up. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So I guess outside diaspora eats eventually actually became like much happier affairs. and But it was never quite the same as flying back to family. Because back when Hari Raya sort of meshed with um, school holidays, we'd always fly back. We'd always fly back. And that was when we did get to meet our cousins and our grandmas. And even when I was like in my teens, I remember feeling like, wow, you know, it's so nice that everyone's like really close. and But we moved far away and we don't get that, like, you know, Report anymore. Later as an adult, I found out, much to my amusement, that my cousins and uncles and aunties, they didn't really see each other throughout the year anyway because they were just so busy. And they only got together during Raya, during Eid, because that's when everyone did it. So then that helped me feel a bit better. Mm. That's an interesting point, Ryder. Um, you're a child of divorce and Eid can also be a stressful time because there is Very. this pressure to celebrate with family where not everyone gets along. Oh, 100%. When you're a child and Eid is an emotional time and you sort of do visit the elders and then suddenly the uncles start picking a fight and it's kind of awkward when the uncle is your dad and it's his brothers he's fighting with and you're sort of like, oh my gosh, it's so awkward, but we can't go anywhere because we'll get, you know, told off or be rude. <laughs> so we just like sit there and endure the awkwardness. And uh, yeah, so it's it's an emotional time, like all those Christmas Hallmark movies and Drama. We have drama too, like 200%. It's just, you know, in a different form. (laughs) It's just like people are people, you know, and that festive season can bring up a lot of feelings, you know, of not just like joy and connection, but unresolved trauma, (laughs) unspoken expectations, you know, disappointment. So maybe that's why those ads uh, were like really emotional, like the ones Inda was talking about, because they always yeah. hit on the same beats. Like you're in the city now, but don't forget your roots. Your mom is getting yeah. older. <laughs> don't, don't abandon take your parents. For <laughs> exactly. I've never had like Eid movies or media directed towards me. So is there just a whole host of like very saccharine movies and music, Inda, that yes. t- touches on your yeah. heartstrings? There are what do you call it? Um, Eid songs, which are basically like Christmas jingles. You put them on and you're in the mood instantly. Um, yes. I'm going to start singing some now, but no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, um, but also like the the dramas, as in like the television dramas where you have like five or six episodes and, you know, on, in the lead up to Eid, the whole family, you know, sits down and watches it right in the evening. Uh, and you want to know what happens at the end. And it's always some kind of moral story at the end. I haven't watched any recently. During my childhood, they were very dramatic and very emotional and very kind of like over the top. But those commercials, yeah, definitely. Though they, I would watch them when I'm, you know, when I was in the UK as a student or even in Australia. And I would still cry watching them on YouTube. <laughs> But going back to these amazing Eid movies, are there homilies on remembering the Eid spirit, i.e. remembering the Christmas spirit? 
Um, it's like, you know, when, when you're back in Christmas for the holidays and you fall in love with a farmer, <laughs> but more kind of like family-based, you know, because, you know, he's, he's, he or she have, has gone off and become really successful and then the parents are still suffering at home and in an um, atop roof home and um, then he comes back and realizes their, the, the mistakes that they've made, um, how they've taken their family for granted. And that's a theme. Um, yeah, there's always like the mean person who learns their lesson throughout Ramadan and becomes nice by the time Eid rolls in. <laughs> there seems to be a lot of guilt tripping in these movies. Oh, man. oh for sure. Like, so like, guilt. Asian guilt is next level. <laughs> I love it. I love the brainwashing. Um, there was one that I watched which was quite funny. Actually, it was quite comical. And it was about this lady. She's a widow. She's got a ch- child of her own. And she's usually someone who would like kind of go for like trying to find a new husband kind of thing and usually quite glam and, and everything. But then she falls in love with the ustaz the new ustaz at the mosque and so she's trying to impress him by being really <laughs> religious <laughs> but at the same time the ustaz is really like kind uh. of he, he's such a bore and he's so straightforward so he has to loosen up as well so they kind of meet in a happy Aww, medium but it was actually so quite sweet. really nicely done I'm not I'm not doing it justice but it was really funny this seems like the classic rom-com. The straight-laced imam and the wild <laughs> lady. Right. Yeah. Kind of come together. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, well, like speaking of guilt tripping and moving away from home and all of that, you know, fast forward for you, you moved to the UK as an adult mm-hmm. and then to Australia as a young doctor. Mm-hmm. So what was it like for you to practice Eid as a single woman and an immigrant in the West? The atmosphere certainly wasn't there, not the way that it was in Malaysia. But you were so busy with work anyway. Um, In the UK, I was studying. Then I moved to Australia and I was working. So I do little things like try to catch up with a few Muslim friends for something that was specifically celebrating Ramadan or Eid. Um, And then on Eid day, if I'm not off work, uh, I would wear my bajikurung to to work, even if it meant that I'd change into scrubs 15 minutes later. I'm like, here I am. It's my special day. Uh, I'm at work, but that's okay. Um, so you kind of find little, little things to to sort of celebrate with. It's a sad diaspora eat, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Changing it from your scrubs into... Uh, a bajikorong for 15 mm. minutes is so vastly different to a tropical, beautiful Eid in the village. Was that something that really became very precious to you when you experienced this other kind of Eid, remembering the way it was for you? So medical school is five years in the UK. And for the first four years, I think our holidays just did not match up to Ramadan and Eid. Um, and there was nothing we can do about that. Um, it was just too extravagant to kind of, you know, head back for the week or anything like that. So we we just have our own sort of Eid. But one year, it actually did match up. And I got to go home to celebrate Eid. And I was so emotional. You know, we did the whole thing about going back to my grandmother's house, um, changing the curtains and sweeping the floors and stuff. And at one point, I was in between curtains and I just had a quiet moment to myself where I just cried of, of happiness because I could hear Eid songs. And I know that something delicious is cooking in the kitchen. And I had my family around me and I hadn't had that for so long. So that, that definitely was a moment where I... Um, went back to my roots like in the movies and <laughs> realized what I was missing and um, and found a newfound appreciation for this family holiday that before as a child I just took for granted. 
You almost became a classic Hari Raya I heroine. was, yes. <laughs> Just like in the movies. Just now, like in the movies. You both have mixed culture families. Um, Ryder, your partner is Indian Tamil. Inda, your husband is Portuguese, Croatian. Mm-hmm. Um, how important was it for both of you, for your partners and kids to celebrate and understand Eid and to incorporate both cultures in your celebration of Eid? Uh, Ryder, I might start with you. Yeah, I think it's 100% really, really important. Like, I don't ever want my children to feel like you're half Malay and you're half Indian Muslim. It's like you're both, you know, you're a combination of everything and all the generations that have come before you and after you. So part of how we manifest that is enjoying food from both cultures. So, and I'm living with my mommy-in-law and she's an amazing cook. And my kids have no idea how lucky they are to get like, Home-cooked biryani, mutton curry, like ho- like homemade vade. It's like I'm slowly trying to like write down the recipes in Google Keep so like one day I can just try them out. <laughs> I think living in, in Malaysia, living with her has helped me understand so much about my husband and her and just coming from, you know, living in this part of the world for so long where being Muslim is normalized, you know, where it's just not a big deal. It's like Eid and Ramadan are like always important like it's just been really healing for like the sad diaspora part of me it's like okay we're just celebrating by ourselves in the cold (laughs) you know so it's been wonderful that this is what my children will experience like just um, a few hours ago my mom-in-law was telling my daughters that she wants to take them for eat shopping next week (laughs) so it's like she's prepping because she knows like the crowds that will hit very soon you know so it's it's really amazing that this is just the norm yeah, and again, it's a, a connection ritual where she'll go out with my girls to get their 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 raya dresses. I'm very grateful and I try to instill that in my children. But like they don't know any better. To them, that's like normal, <laughs> you know, which is really cool. And I hope that they always carry that wherever they go. Because I don't know what lies ahead for my kids, you know, the next generation and what adventures mm-hmm. lie ahead. But I want them to always have that feeling of like fullness and love and enoughness for being Muslim, for being exactly who they are, for coming from a mixed background and knowing that's mm. a source of strength and connection and love for them and a foundational security through like rituals of cooking together, of prepping the house for Eid, you know, visiting relatives. And I love that. I love that how you are both creating new Eid traditions for a new life that you're living. Um, And Inda, you are mainly based in Brisbane, Australia at the moment. So how do you, I guess, share Eid with your children and your partner and bring them in and help them understand how important it is? We just make the best of what we have. So last last Ramadan, last Eid um, was really special because I had my mom with me as well. And so I had the Malaysian food covered <laughs> um, and she made an amazing meal. She made so much that we had enough to last for a week. But then it also meant that I could invite people over to the house, not just serve them Tim Tams and teas. <laughs> That was like a with Tim Tams. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Tim Tams. Though. I love Tim Tams. But when you're in a, a country where your language, your mother tongue, is not the you know the norm, whenever you do get a chance to sit down and and talk to people in Malay, it's like a little pocket of sunshine. It's so special, and it's almost like you don't realize how much you missed it until you're in there chatting away, saying things that will not translate in English or will not make sense in English, but it makes sense to you just to each of you at that moment. Um, So we had a little kind of celebration like that. And then the kids, 
it made me laugh because I probably said exactly the same thing when I was a kid. But the kids would like come in sit down and and have food with us. And then we're itching to go and play. Uh, And so we said, no, 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 we have to take pictures first. So we we took a bunch of pictures. And then I heard my daughter say, come on, Eli, let's get out of these clothes and go and play. (laughs) And that was exactly what my cousins and I would say in hot, sweltering Malaysian weather when we have to wear these nice, crisp new clothes. We just want to go out and play in our shorts and t-shirts. So they went off and did that. And then the rest of the family just kind of sat down and chatted in this kind of soporific, postprandial sleeper kind of thing. And it was really nice. So they're not going to get the full experience, I guess. Like they won't go house to house demanding uh, money off all our neighbors. But, you know, it was it was still pretty special in our own way. And also, if I might add, maybe even manageable because sometimes those big family eats do get very overwhelming and dramatic, like Ryda was saying. So in the past couple of years, I've been pretty happy with um, our small little eats away. My little twin boys are still pretty young. Just as, as an aside, my my mom did eventually bring some um, Malaysian clothes for them, which were tiny tot size, which is super cute. But before she arrived, I actually reached out to the Malaysians in Brisbane community on Facebook and said, does anybody have toddler baju Malayu um, so that my sons can celebrate their first eat ever? dressed appropriately. Um, and a couple of people put their hand up and I drove across Brisbane and picked up a few costumes that they they got to wear that day, which is really, really nice. And also, you know, your partner, who's Portuguese, Croatian background, mm. also a doctor, he mm. didn't grow up with Eid. So what does he think of the whole spectacle? It was actually really nice when we started having Ramadans and Eids together because he, so his dad's Portuguese, his mom is Croatian. My husband's best friend growing up um, and still now and all the way through medical school um, is a Palestinian Lebanese friend of ours. So he very much knew about Ramadan Eid as well. The only Eids he's experienced are probably our sat diaspora ones. <laughs> so I feel like I can't really comment because his impression of Eid would be our watered down impression of Eid. But I definitely love for my whole family to be back home for one of these Eids, uh, inshallah, in the years to come and just see how how they react to all of it and how they manage and navigate and survive it. <laughs> Look, in defense of the sad Sydney diaspora Eids, which are the only ones I've ever experienced, okay? Look, I, I'm bringing an Australian twist. There's barbecue sausages. Oh, yum. There's the heat. There's scratchy clothes that you take off and then you go for a swim. You watch a movie after you've done yeah, all the aunties enough. and the makeup's melted off. And so it has its value, okay? It has its… So we it need has to go its... to your house, Sarah. This yes, is what you're saying. Yes, I think yeah. we, need to, we need to just acclimatize to the climate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but also the other thing, and you're, you're probably going to ring it up a little bit later about moon controversies. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get time off for Eid because I don't know when Eid's going to be. You know, like I'll say to my boss, listen, and they know I'm fasting and stuff like, oh, do you reckon I can get like a day off for Eid? You know, what's the operating list like and stuff. And just like, oh, sure, we'll be fine. Next week's pretty light. But what day do you want off? Maybe Tuesday, but maybe (laughs) Wednesday. Um, When when can you tell me? Monday night? I don't know. It's very confusing and it almost seems deceptive because you're trying to tell people, look, I don't actually know when the day is and they think that you're pulling their leg because who doesn't know when their cultural celebration is? (laughs) Um, And was that something that you didn't really grow up with because was there some kind of official announcement 
Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you turn on the TV and then this guy would say, on behalf of the imams of Malaysia, uh, we have spotted the moon and Eid is going to be this time. But Raida, you might have been here for last year when they did the shock announcement. So they would usually announce it a couple of days ahead of time. So people plan. can plan. But for, for some reason last year, um, they announced it the night before and people were going nuts. They're like, the chicken's not even thawed out from the freezer yet. <laughs> it was chaotic. What am I going to do? Like, yeah, it What's was, happen it to was the chaotic. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I still need to sew this on my clothes. And it was it was quite funny. So um, my mom was here with me and we were, she, she was giggling because she was getting panicked. Um, hysterical WhatsApp messages from her friends who were clamoring, trying to kind of sort out their Eid the next day after the announcement. So that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Pros and cons. <laughs> wow. Look, I had no idea about this drama going down. But I mean, for those who don't know, there is this controversy because some Muslims mark Eid by sighting the new moon physically and others are happy with the scientific calendar method. And this means that there kind of are two camps of when Eid is, do you sight it or do you have a pre-prepared day? Ryder, did you grow up with this kind of two camps where some of your family were Moonies, some of the family were calendar people? Was that ever an issue for you guys? Uh, interestingly, because I'm the oldest and like the most vocal, everyone was just like, okay, fine, let's just follow Ryder. <laughs> but as they all got older and got married and had opinions of themselves, then that kind of started shifting. And you know what? Fair enough. Each to their own. We're all going to make our own decisions. So I guess initially, I guess we, most of us were of the moon sighting camp because it was something really beautiful, actually, being part of the Muslim diaspora and going on a hill and everyone like sighting the moon for themselves. That was really special. And it helped me feel connected to sighting the moon in a way that I never really had. Because in Malaysia, it's like it's announced, they tell you in advance, it's in the calendar, it's a public holiday. It's kind of like laid out for you. But when you're, you know, a diaspora child or adult or teenager, you kind of you're making your own way, you're paving your own path, which feels really beautiful and prophetic in its own right, you know. And there is this beautiful fusion as well of like past and present and trying to make a way for the future. And that's something I do miss sometimes when I am here. And it's sort of like really easy to be Muslim. It's really normal. So there's not that like struggle to make space, to feel heard and all that. So it's, it's beautiful and, and restful in one sense, but you don't have that feeling of like, it's us against the world. <laughs> it's, it's us on a hilltop staring at the moon. That's right. I absolutely yeah. love the Eid Iron Fist you have there, Ryder. Yes. <laughs> growing up. You're neurodiverse. You have children who are neurodiverse. How do you practice self-care in Eid when it can be overwhelming in terms of yeah. people and stimulus? Lots and lots of breaks. And, um, and basically... T tuning into myself a lot and okay if I'm feeling overwhelmed this means it's time to go to a quieter room so it could be while I'm visiting a family member's house or it could be a friend's house or someone coming to my house so th there's always the option of saying hey, I need to take my kid for a break for a while I'll go to the garden reading everyone's body signals reading my own knowing that you know like I need plenty of breaks on like a normal day let alone like the overwhelming excitement of Eid and just embracing that you know and knowing that this is what it's like for me this is what my children need as well and that's okay because that's how I hope they'll learn how to figure out what they need how to meet their needs how to take breaks 
And uh, and sometimes it, it just gets too much and it's time to leave. And that's okay as well. So my husband and I, we kind of have like a, have eat like code words or like expressions on our faces. And we go, okay, this is getting too much. Let's get out of here before it gets even worse. Or like my like private upset WhatsApps. Like, oh, this is getting too much. We need to get going now. <laughs> they run in the room. Okay, let's, let's get the kids out. So knowing that we have that code, we have the understanding, you know. While also knowing that because at a certain point, it's just time to go home, guys. <laughs> this is getting out of hand, you know. That uncle's getting away too annoying. It's yeah, time for us right. to jet. It's time to leave so we can keep things civil, <laughs> you know. And you know until what? Until next Eid. Yeah, until next Eid. And you know what? Until the next open house. This is plenty of open houses. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love it. And I have a very important question, which is the Eid outfit. How important is it to pick out the perfect outfit, Inda. Listen, I've mellowed out <laughs> a lot <laughs> as I grow older and as I um, become a mom. I think Vida's hit the nail on the hit on its head. Like when you enter motherhood, your expectations start to start to filter down, uh, which is a very healthy thing, I think, uh, because you realize that control is an illusion and you don't really have that much control. So I, uh, I'm i going to be really embarrassed to admit this, but I think for several years in a row, I was wearing the same bajukurong because I was in Australia and nobody knew any different. Right, I was in okay. a different hospital every year. No one would have seen it before. It's okay. Um, so, so I had my favorite bajukurong from home that I wore many years in a row. And then I got pregnant with twins. So then I couldn't fit into them. Um, And so I think what I'm trying to say is that as long as there's effort, which is choosing a baju kurung or baju kabaya to wear, uh, and it makes me feel good and it shows the rest of the world that, you know, I'm celebrating something special and it might lead to conversations about, oh, what, you know, what is this day about? What, uh, what's Eid? What's Ramadan? And I can have um, a casual conversation about that. And just to feel really buddy-buddy to, with anybody who is actually celebrating alongside me, um, that's good enough for me. I'm not sort of Hari Raya photo Nazi. Um, where you have to kind of like line the whole family on the couch and uh, take a million photos. I'm very happy to have just natural pictures taken throughout the day. If we can have one all together, that would be amazing. But I know that this is very important. Like it's very important to my mom, for example, that we have a good Raya photo to have for the record. And then, you know what, years down the, you know, I, and maybe I'd huff and puff about it because the kids are everywhere and they're crawling out of control and stuff. But then years down the line, I'll probably look back and say, oh, thank goodness we persisted and have have that, you know, really nice Raya photo for the album because those are memories that you're not going to be able to sort of reenact. Um, so my my outfit game is pretty chilled. <laughs> well, you know, the Raya photo, your mom's game seems to be like at 100. So I think that's hard yes. to replicate. <laughs> and Raya for you, you know, is, is the outfit a big deal? That's a really loaded question. <laughs> I'm triggering everyone. So once you move back to the motherland, the expectations start to escalate. Like for me, it used to be like, okay, any baju kurong is great. Any baju kabaya is great. But suddenly you realize there's different grades, there's premium quality, there's tailored, there's sequins. I'm just like, I just want cotton. That's it. <laughs> you know, like seriously. We don't have like the total color matching because my husband is like so opposed <laughs> to matching, matching completely. I might trick him by like, oh, I'm going to wear this one when I see what he wears. 
I think that's a fun note to end on. Thank you for being with us, Inda and Ryder. I hope your ears are full of lots of matchy-matchy and delicious food. You're welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Inda. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. Eid Mubarak, everyone, and thank you for listening. This is the final episode of My Ramadan. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Hit the follow button in your podcast app and please share or review the podcast if you're enjoying it. This episode was presented by me, Sarah Malik. Our audio engineer is Jeremy Wilmot. Executive producers are Sarah Malik and Caroline Gates. If you want to get in touch, email myramadan at sbs.com.au. You can find My Ramadan in the SBS audio app or at sbs.com.au slash audio.